Hello there and welcome to this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First, it's T.J. Stevens. He's experienced an amazing story of redemption, a young man who walked into a school in the early 1980s, opened fire, and took hostages. A man who has known the presence of Christ in his life. Here's some of his testimony ahead. Then, Richard Battle wrote a letter to his infant son to share life's principles in case he passed away before he could. The young boy died, and Richard had to walk through that experience of grief. He shared with me recently about God's faithfulness to him. A part of that conversation is ahead. Plus, Carrie Pomeroli is a comedian who loves God and has allowed him to direct her steps and her material. Even through struggles, she has experienced him walking with her. Comments about her journey are ahead. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, he worked in the White House, was a journalist, and spent years in pastoral ministry. Wallace Henley is uniquely qualified to tie the political and spiritual together and has some unique insight into the hand of God in nations, including the U.S. Find out more ahead. Finally, people have certainly experienced isolation and an increased dependence on technology in order to communicate and sustain relationships as of late. Amy Van Audenaren is concerned that tech can inhibit personal interaction and offers some perspective. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. When he was 18 years old in the early 1980s, T.J. Stevens walked into a school, opened fire, and took hostages. Even in the midst of that terrifying situation, God began to get his attention. He did serve time in prison, and now he is involved in speaking truth to young people. He has written a book entitled, Once a Shooter, Redemption of a High School Gunman. From a recent conversation, this is T.J. Stevens. It was more of a suicide that was going to take place the night before. Um, So, well, we know that even today, 137 children take their own life every day in our country. It's 48,000 kids. And so I was no different than that statistic. But then when I got to the point when the gun was in my mouth and the pressure was on the trigger um, and I had conceded to this inner darkness, that's when things started going south quickly. Because once I opened that door for, for Satan to use this tool, this fool, this coward, and to turn around and, and you're hearing all kinds of inner conscious thoughts in your mind telling you uh, why do it this way when you can do it this way you know the end result is the same but you want to create as much pain and havoc as you go down in that abyss of you know in that abyss of pain so i would say that in my situation, if I would have had, if I would have had a mentor, somebody just really set me down and talked to me, um, and get me back on, on track, there would have been a chance. Not only would I've not done this, but I also would have uh, turned my life around for the Lord. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge advocate in prayer, putting put prayer back in schools and mentors in our schools and even a Bible study in our schools, um, because that's the front lines for these kids. Um, 
between the peer pressures and things that they go through in their private life. No one really knows what goes on in their private life. Mm. So, but the sign is, is, is a quiet child, a person who's recluse, doesn't talk to anyone, uh, separates their life from their parents, uh, becomes very angry and agitated, fighting all the time. Um, you know, all the signs are there. Going into midnight on the first day, um, the people in the room with me were on the other side of the room, and I was on this side. Anyway, the same voices I heard the night before um, just multiplied, and I was pretty much having this conversation with the dark side, if you will, um, saying we had a deal, you're supposed to do this and this, and I, I just... Um, got down on my knees, put the gun in my mouth, and I said, no, you're, you're not going to take these these lives. I'll just take my own life. And, of course, the people in the room are watching this whole thing, probably thinking, you know, this guy's psychotic or psychosis or whatever. But um, as I, again, put that pressure on the trigger another time, this one of the faculty members fell to their knees screaming crying don't do this you haven't hurt anybody you haven't killed anybody you're just a confused kid you don't know what you're doing and as she was doing this she was swaying back and forth with her hands over her face and um, something pierced my right eye and it ended up being a gold cross around her neck and when my eyes confronted the cross or the cross confronted me hmm. and the sin within me um uh a transformation took place right in that office. And uh, um, to this day, it was the defining pivotal point wow. between life and death. T.J. Stevens here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the publisher's website. That is Regnery, R-E-G-N-E-R-Y dot com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Richard Battle. He wrote a letter to his infant son to share life's principles in case he passed away before he could. The young boy, in fact, died, and Richard had to walk through that experience of grief. He shared with me recently about God's faithfulness to him. The letter appears in a book called Surviving Grief by God's Grace. His latest book is entitled Conquering Life's Course, Common Sense in Chaotic Times. Here now from a recent conversation is Richard Battle. When my son was born in 1997, I was 45 years old. He was the first child of my family's surname in 28 years. So he was very special, obviously, to, to me and my whole family. And my concern at that time was I might pass away before I had a chance to teach him the important things in life. And so I composed a letter for him that had 46 points to it and had it prepared for that eventuality. And lo and behold, three months after I wrote the letter, he passed away very suddenly, unexpectedly, and, and devastatingly to us uh, for losing him. So give us an idea about some of the principal teachings that you really wanted to get across to your John specifically, as you wrote that original letter and, and your daughter as well, what did you feel like were, as we might say, these important things that they needed to know? Well, number one on the list was God exists, have faith, pray, and listen. 
And in my life, as I wrote that and every day since, that's become more and more evident as the most important thing for all of us uh, to do. And the second thing I put as an example was if I was gone for her, him to love and care for his mother and that he would be the man of the house and that his mother unconditionally loved him and deserved his love, respect, and attention. Uh, those were the top two, which I still think would be the top two in any situation. What did you and your wife walk through? What was that like at, during that that time of, of grieving his loss? Well, the first thing is it was a crushing blow, even though we both were believers. I'd been an adult Sunday school teacher for a number of years, but the unexpected loss was a crushing blow and I knew he was in heaven, uh, but it hurt so much that for a while, I didn't want to live. And thankfully, we visited with some friends who gave us encouragement about life and that there was a purpose in us still living. And that was part of the reason why I ended up with the book. That's one of the reasons. Uh, but it's so important uh, in God's will for us to be able to deal with that loss. And what I finally concluded was I don't grieve where my son is because I know he's in heaven, but I grieve where he isn't because he's not with me. Mm. And that perspective allows me to go forward in ways where hopefully I can add impact to his life and help other people. Well, give us an idea about the concept of this book, Conquering Life's Course, which is your most recent publication. Well, it was the genesis of it was back about 10 or 12 years ago, I had written some blog postings about experiences with my young daughter who was five or six years old at the time. And it became the basis when it seemed like a year or so ago, it seemed like common sense was going out the window. And I think now we can agree it's almost totally gone uh, that I took those posts and added additional chapters of common sense that we, most of us were raised on to try to reinforce that and re-inspire people that common sense is always in season and it never goes out of style because we are constantly attacked by people that want us to give up common sense for unproven theories. Richard Battle here on The Intersection. You can find him online through the website richardbattle.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's comedian Carrie Pomeroli. Recently in a conversation, she shared an update on life during the coronavirus pandemic and recounted God's faithfulness to her in a conversation that included information about the book's Confessions of a Proverbs 32 Woman, How I Went from Messed Up to Blessed Up Without Changing a Single Thing, as well as a devotional book called She Rises Late and Her Kids Make Her Breakfast, Devotions for the Proverbs 32 Woman. From that recent conversation, this is Carrie Pomeroli now. I look at the Proverbs 31 chapter as if she was alive today, that would be her bio on Facebook. That would be her perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like when somebody interviews me, I, I look really good because they put in all the good stuff, right? So if you read my bio on Instagram or you look at my Photoshop pictures, I look pretty delightful. So I think that it was a snapshot of her. I don't think it was the whole picture of her. I don't think that was her whole life. I mean, she had major struggles. She had major obstacles. She had worries and desires and nerves and anxiety and marital problems, just like every woman today. So 
it was really fun for me to have this fictional relationship with her and how she's looking at women today saying, I think you have it harder than we did. You know, like you have more pressures and more stress and more distractions from the Lord than we did back then. So I think it was a snapshot of her as if you were writing a really great bio um, and only including the great parts. You know what I mean? Sure. And so so if you had to do kind of a character sketch or a bio of that Proverbs right. 32 woman, what would be some of the elements? Oh, it would be um, it would be me not making farm to table crockpot meals from <laughs> Pinterest. It would be my children eating McDonald's at eight o'clock at night because mom forgot to make dinner. It would be me saying, I'm sorry that you haven't had a bath in three days. Um, here's some soap. Go on the slip and slide outside. It would just be, it would be every woman out there that's feeling that they, they have spent more time on social media than their Bible and they're feeling guilty and trying to connect with God. And so a lot of my chapters in my book is about grace, 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 and, and some tangible lessons about how can we connect with God. I, I, I throw out that challenge to myself and everybody else out there. Take a 24 hour snapshot of your life, take a 24 hour snapshot and, and make a pie chart about what is taking up your time and how much time is devoted to really spending time with God in that 24 hours. Not to feel guilty about it, but just to get a reality check that he still wants to connect with us on a daily basis. So hopefully I can inspire some women not to feel guilty, but just to not feel so alone. Carrie Pomeroli joining us today, comedian and author, and we're talking about these, well, really two books. There's Confessions of a Proverbs 32 Woman, and then you've got a devotional guide. I, I think I would have a difficult time just coming up with one book. You actually released two at uh, the very same time, and you tied the two together. So why did you punish yourself to do it an extra um, devotional you know guide? Because <laughs> they gave me money, and that's a good okay. motivator. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> They're like, hey, do you want to write two books? We'll pay you. I'm like, yes. True confessions. Because I'd write 60 devotionals, and I'm a comedian. I'm a perfectionist. So that was 60 adorable stories that I had to come up with. But I wanted it to be unlike other devotionals. I mean, I've got stories about Rocky Balboa, and um, I got Botox, Am I Going to Hell? Um, Things that are not talked about in normal devotionals uh, that we're seeing. But there was a lot of questions that I had for God living this life that we do this very complicated life and so it was a great exercise to try to delve into some topics um self-worth loneliness how do we you know how do we navigate a technological world it's not just about parenting a lot of women are reading my books that are not parents that are not married so it's hopefully a book that any woman at any life stage can glean some inspiration from well you refer to yourself as being type triple A as opposed to just a mere type A. And as you just said a few moments ago, you regard yourself to be a perfectionist. So talk about how how that has really informed the message that, that kind of runs through the material that you do. And the thing is, I feel that God never wanted us to be perfect. He never required us. Somewhere along the line in our human existence, we decided to have these unnatural standards, even in the church. I mean, you think Hollywood is bad enough. You know, you need to be tall and skinny and rich and all these things. But even in the church, there are these pressures that you need to be in a certain life stage and you need to be homeschooling and breastfeeding and making crockpot meals and like all these things that 
what if you're not in that life stage? And what if you find yourself in a group that you never wanted to be in? I never wanted to be in the divorce club. I never wanted to be in the single mom club. I never wanted to be when my daughter was in the, the new intensive care unit in the hospital, the special needs moms club, all these clubs that I, in this earthly journey have, have been put in. But I guess my message in the book is that God is with us no matter what life stage, no matter what this world throws at us, we can still rely on him to get us through it. Carrie Pomeroli here on The Intersection. You can find her online by going to Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, Pom, P-O-M, dot com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by visiting meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection. You can also find the podcast in the Media Center. You can subscribe via iTunes as well. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Plus, you can find content from the Intersection podcast. Plus, you can find content from the Meeting House program through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Well, continuing on this edition of the Intersection podcast, it's Wallace Henley. He served in the White House, was a journalist, and spent years in pastoral ministry. He has written a book entitled Two Men from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Trump, and the Lord of History. Here now from that recent conversation is Wallace Henley. The ultimate will of God, it's like, it's like the Nile River. The Nile River starts down in, in Central Africa, and it flows northward up to the Mediterranean Sea. And there's nothing that can stop that ultimate destination of the Nile River. There's nothing that can stop that, that flow. So the ultimate will of God is, is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom in this world. And, and, the, and the renovation of this world, the return of this world to its mint condition, Acts chapter 3. That's the ultimate will of God. That's going to happen. In that river, there are, there are tributaries that people can choose. Uh, they might get caught in a whirlpool and may, and may go counter to the current. But whatever the case, they're going with the current. And so God's raising up and putting down of leaders, either intentionally or permissively, Romans 1, he may remove his hand and let someone come into power. But all of it is geared to that ultimate destination. The kingdom of God is the whole point of history. And Daniel chapter 2 cannot be understood apart from Matthew 24, uh, where Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, the apostles ask him, uh, Lord, tell us about your coming, and tell us what the world is going to be like. Man, you, you could not have written that more accurately what Jesus said than what we're observing right now. Exactly what he said would happen is happening. And he said, this is a time of birth pangs. So all of the leaders who come up in history are there by the intentional hand of God or the permissive will of God in which God removes that intentional hand and lets those come to power. And so consequently, I say in the book, hey, if Hillary Clinton had been elected in 2016, I could have been writing the same book. 
how can the principles that you've elaborated on in this particular book be applicable and even helpful to the church as we prepare to let our voices be heard coming up in November? Right now, if I, if I were a senior pastor, I would be teaching an apologetics course that would deal with the worldviews that influence, uh, on the one hand, the Judeo-Christian worldview, and on the other hand, the leftist, socialist, secularist uh, worldview that is vying for our world. I would educate the church. The church needs to be discipled on this, and we need to see that these are biblical issues. And I would bring in things like marriage, and I would bring in things like sexual purity, and I would bring in things like uh, the, the worth of a child in the womb. And I would bring in all of these issues that are so critical in our time that the church is so ignorant about because we're afraid to touch it. And uh, I've, I've worked with uh, Ed Young, Second Baptist Church, Houston, has 81,000 members and, and a very courageous pastor uh, who is willing to speak openly about some of these things. And I'm in a church in, in the place where I live now with a pastor named Steve Riggle, who is very co- courageous and bold. So the church has got to do that. We've, we've got to educate, disciple our people about the issues and to say to them, vote according to the Judeo-Christian worldview revealed in the Bible. Here's what it is. Here's what it looks like. And don't be afraid. Secondly, we need to take prayer seriously. We need to see prayer as not some um, uh, little religious exercise, but as Daniel did. When Daniel cries out to God toward the end of the book, he's crying out to God, and God has given him visions about the future, and it makes him sick. What Daniel is seeing, it makes him sick. He Mm. doesn't understand the meaning of it. He says, please show me. And there's a delay. God seems not to answer. Finally, finally, uh, an angel comes and says, the moment you prayed, I was sent to give you the answer, but I had to withstand the Prince of Persia. So we need to learn to, as the old Pentecostals used to say, we need to learn to pray through. And praying through means understanding that prayer is spiritual warfare, and you don't stop it once you've said a nice little thing. You press in, you press in, you press in. So I think discipleship on the one hand, a more intensified understanding of prayer, and then number three, a greater emphasis in the pulpit on the transcendence of God. Our founders, our American founders, were in churches where the pastors spoke, their sermons were about two hours long, and, <laughs> and, and the pastors spoke heavily from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the clear message is that we are accountable to God. God is over all. Wallace Henley here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website to twomenfrombabylonbook.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, I had a chance recently to talk with Amy Van Audenaren. People have certainly experienced isolation and an increased dependence on technology in order to communicate and sustain relationships. She's concerned that tech can inhibit personal inaction and offer some perspective. Here now is Amy Van Audenaren. When I came back to America, just really noticed how addicted our society was. It, was, it became hard to even have a conversation um, with people because people were so reliant on on their phones, whether that to look, whether that be to look something up related to the conversation or to respond to to some ding or notification that was coming in. Um, and so I just coming back really noticed the change and was especially concerned about how this was impacting our children. 
um, who are, are being raised kind of in a completely different way than I was. You know, just a simple walk around my apartment complex demonstrates that with instead of kids riding bikes or, or playing with their friends, um, they're often, you know, looking down at a screen and kind of oblivious to the world around them. And so that's been um, just kind of a recent passion of mine has been to help um, children and help families just find a, a different path and a path that is kind of free from that um, from that overabundance of technology. Well, you wrote a piece for World Magazine back in April called Fighting for Real Connection During the Coronavirus. And actually in that article, you shared about your experiences with online church, online worship services. And while this has been something that I believe God has used in powerful ways, a number of people that might not attend an in-person worship service, actually having the Word of God connecting with them in that way. It also enables us to stay connected with our church congregations, maybe Sunday school classes and things of that sort. So while there is an upside as far as helping us stay connected, there's also a downside. And it really, something that you bring out that is something we need to continue to keep in mind is the way that we're wired. The way that we are right. connected by, our, we're, we're put together by God to connect with other people within the body of Christ. So talk about that and really some thoughts you have as far as just the, the way that God has made us to be in relationship with others. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, so yeah, as you say, you know, online church has, has been wonderful during this time, but but it's, it's kind of a two-edged sword, or at least it has been for me. And I remember the first um, church experience of doing church online, um, I, 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 was, I, I became emotional, actually. And, you know, it was so good to, to you know, see my pastor's face or to, to be with, in a sense, other people that I, I used to, I'm used to doing church with, but it just wasn't the same. Um, and it was so different than, and it, and it, yeah, it caused me to be emotional. And, and it made me start thinking about, okay, this is great for now. But my fear was, we become so reliant on the changes that are happening in our in our society during this time that we don't go back to life as usual. And, and some of those changes seem good. So on that Sunday, for example, um, I was done with church by like 1 p.m. And, and, and could go on with my day. I got my daughter down for her nap on time and had lunch at home. Um, whereas normally we mingle after church. We often go to lunch. There, there's times where we don't get home till four o'clock. My daughter's missed her nap. We're all <laughs> tired uh, and, and starting starting our week on the wrong foot. Um, but, you know, this week I was done by one and had a whole day in front of me. And, and I just got to thinking, you know, there's going to be a strong pull for people to not go back to kind of life as usual when, when the threat of, of COVID-19 is over. Um, but we can't allow that to happen um, because like you commented on, you know, humans thrive on in-person connection. And I believe that that's part of the design of God, of our creator, that, that we're meant to be with each other. Um, and some of the, you know, really destructive things in, in society and in individuals happen in the, in the dark or, or when we're alone. Um, different, different addictions and different mental health challenges happen, um, you know, when we're not in community. And um, and there, you know, there's a lot of science around this, just a, a simple eight second hug changes the chemicals in our brain for the better, for example. And, you know, I think looking at children helps with this children who are hugged, who have eye contact, 
um, do better in life. And um, because, because we're made for that, that kind of connection. And, and so I think, I think it's so important that as we, you know, even though coronavirus isn't over yet, as we start to think about, um, you know, things starting to open up or going back to life as usual, I think we, we need to think about, okay, how do we, how do we lower our dependence on tech and how do we increase our in-person interactions in, in a way that's safe and doesn't put the, the vulnerable at risk, but but that meets the needs of, of what it means to be human. Amy Van Oudenaar and here on The Intersection. You can find her by searching online. It's Amy Van and then Oudenaar and O-U-D-E-N-A-R-E-N. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center and you can subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. And content from The Meeting House program can be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.